It's good to be. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my wife Janet and I, who's with me, uh, came over from Beaumont today. How many of you know where Beaumont is? Just a few. Well, it's on Interstate 10 east of LA, out toward Palm Springs. Uh, beautiful area right between two 11,000 foot mountains. Uh, it's really a great place to live. And it's good, uh, it's, it's good to be there, but it's also good to be here with you this morning. Uh, just, just a personal word, this church uh, is near and dear to our hearts, even though we're a long way off, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, and I'm looking around to see there's nobody in here who's nearly old enough to remember this, but I've been here twice before. And this was back in the late 1980s when John Powell was your pastor. And uh, I did what we called back then January Bible studies. Anybody remember those things? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I was here for several days each time and had a wonderful time with you then. Uh, John was a dear friend and came to know, by being here, came to know John Funk, who was a member of this church, who became a very close friend and we served together on the board at California Baptist University for several years and it was a wonderful time. The other reason that this is a place that's near and dear to our hearts is, first of all, we've known Kendrick and Melissa for, well, ever since they got married. And I'm not sure how long ago that was. I, Kendrick's really old, and I know. Uh, so it's been a while. But Melissa's parents, uh, Phil and Debbie Kell, are dear, dear friends of ours, have been for a long, long time. And so we have four daughters and a son, but we have four daughters. The Kells have daughters, so we shared, Phil and I shared a lot of common misery. Uh, but also watching out for who they might bring home. You just never know who they're going to show up with. And, uh, but Melissa blessed them with, with Kendrick. Our youngest daughter married Joey Logan. Doesn't mean a thing to you, does it? Joey Logan, our son-in-law's younger sister, is Christina Bond, Tim Bond's wife. So we have a double connection there with your church. Uh, so it's good to be here and be with you this morning. Let me invite you to open your Bible to the book of James, the book of James. I was assigned this passage this morning. Uh, Kendrick, when he asked me to come and preach, said that the church wanted to begin a study of the book of James and asked me to do the first message from James. So we're going to look at the first four verses of James together this morning. The title of the message, as you can see on the little handout that you got, is concrete Christianity. I'll explain that uh, in, in just a moment. But this book was written uh, by James, and it probably has an early date, one of the earlier books of the New Testament. James uh, uh, wrote this book, and, and the Lord has preserved it for us. It, Martin Luther, if you know the name Martin Luther from the Reformation, Martin Luther didn't think too much of this book. Uh, but Martin Luther was so focused on salvation by grace alone through faith alone, not of works, and so intense on it not being of works because he in his life had tried for many, many years to be saved by works, 
until he came to know the, the glory of grace in his life, of the Lord's uh, grace for him. So he was so opposed to the idea of works that when James wrote a book that was about works, about living out our faith, he didn't like it too much. He called it a right strawy epistle. <laughs> he had a way with words. One of the things about James, and, and, and we'll see a little more in just a moment that explains this, but this book is full of the teachings of the Lord Jesus himself. There are only 108 verses in this whole book. In 26, about a fourth of the verses, there is some reference or mention of something that is a, almost a direct quote of the t- one of the teachings of the Lord Jesus himself. What we know about this book, and when we put it together with what Martin Luther emphasized and put James's book together with it, we get what Paul emphasized in the book of Ephesians, where he said, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But he didn't stop there. The next verse said, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So the grace part, being saved by grace through faith, is what Martin Luther emphasized. The unto good works is what James is emphasizing. So in reality, they go together. And it's all the truth of God for us. There were many years ago, and I don't this was a long time ago, and again, you're probably not old enough to remember this, but there was a TV commercial... I believe it was for Firestone Tires. I don't remember if I've got the right brand exactly. But the theme line, the little tagline was this. Firestone Tires, where the rubber meets the road. I like to think of James in that light. James, as far as we're talking about, that's why I've called it, uh, my phrase, I've called it concrete Christianity. Where the rubber meets the road. This is where we really live, in other words. And that's what James is writing for us. So let's read together, beginning in the, in the first verse here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being here with your church today. Father, thank you that we can worship you, that we've lifted our voices in songs of praise to you. And thank you that we can open your word And read it and study it together, Lord. Help us to receive it, to believe it. But most of all, Lord, help us to obey it. To live it out in our lives. I pray you'd give me the grace to teach as you would want me to teach today, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to share with you this morning under two major headings, okay? The first major heading is the greeting of the apostle. That's simply verse 1. But there are three things real quickly, and I just want to point these out to you. Three things real quickly. First of all, the submissive servant. Notice how James identifies himself. Now, you know from looking at other letters in the New Testament, the other New Testament epistles, 
you know that the common practice back then was different than what we do. What we say at the beginning of a letter is dear so-and-so, and we don't put our name until the end of the letter. You're probably like me. If you get a letter and you don't know who it's from and it's more than one page, the first thing you do is flip over to find out who wrote it to you. Well, in the New Testament, they had the good sense to just put their name right up front. And so James puts his name and identifies himself with the first words, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, we know from Acts chapter 15, was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. Paul in Galatians called him a pillar of the church. And Paul also in Galatians called him something amazing, and we know this as a truth, that he was the brother, literally the half-brother, of the Lord Jesus himself. That's why I call him the submissive servant. What he could have said when he started this letter was, I'm James, I'm Jesus' brother, read my lips. (laughs) In other words, you better listen to me because of who I am. That's not what he did at all. He identified himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humble in his approach. The next thing we see in this first greeting of the apostle is the supreme Savior. He is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There he identifies God for us, God the Father, and then he identifies the Lord Jesus with God, very clearly putting them in equality. We believe in the Trinity. I asked someone this morning, and I'm going to ask again, maybe someone has a better definition But when I see, and I don't see it anywhere here now. I saw it earlier. When I see your logo, the C and then three lines under it, for me, what that, my mind immediately goes to the Trinity. I don't know if that's what you meant by it. Does anybody know? Okay, first homework assignment. (laughs) Calvary Church, find out what your logo means. Somebody raise it. It was just pretty. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I'm going to pretend it means the Trinity, okay? God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. As uh, Thomas in the New Testament, when he saw Jesus finally, and Jesus shared with him and let him see his hands and his side, he said, my Lord and my God. That's who he is. That's who we sang about. This morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's always the same. Praise the Lord. And we see him identified here. James is his servant. And then the last thing that we see in this greeting is the scattered saints to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. Now, the 12 tribes is just an old reference, just like from the Old Testament, of of the tribes of Israel. Now, why were they dispersed? The word is diaspora. Why were they dispersed? These were Christian Jews who were living outside of what we know as Israel today. They were dispersed because at that time they were under great persecution in Israel, in Jerusalem especially. Also we know that during some of those times from the writings of Paul, there was a huge famine in the land there, and they may have simply gone other places so they could find food. We don't know the answer to that. But for some reason, these Jews were scattered. It seems to be probably because of the persecution Because of what James says in the letter, he seems to be addressing that idea as one of his main points of Christians living under hardship, under persecution. So we see these scattered saints and he's writing to them 
and he begins his letter. And that's the second major heading I want you to see. And the major heading is the purpose of trials. The purpose of trials. Now this is where it comes home to you and me today. Okay? This is not just a New Testament apostle from 2,000 years ago writing something for some Jews who were spread out across that part of the world, the eastern part of the Mediterranean. This is God Himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through James writing to Calvary Church today. Okay. Training session. When I go like this, it means say amen. (laughs) Did you see that? Oh, good. This is God the Holy Spirit through James writing to Calvary Church today. Thank you very much. So, what is the purpose of these trials? I'm going to lift, I forget, let me see. I think I'm going to give you seven things of the purpose of trials this morning. Now, don't worry. I know what time I'm supposed to be through by one o'clock. Number one, number one, the purpose of trials. Trials are inevitable. Trials are inevitable. (laughs) I heard about two boiled eggs who were in a a pot of uh, of boiling water, and and one of the eggs said to the other one, said, man, it's hot in here. And the second egg looked at him and said, yeah, but wait till you get out. They bash your head in. It's the old idea of if things are going okay, don't worry, they're going to get worse. You need to know that, Christian. Trials are inevitable. You say, well, I'm not, going, I'm not under any trials right now, and, and I, that's wonderful, but I, my answer to you is just wait. Just wait, because they are going to come. Notice what he says in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet ver- trials of various kinds. You know, you would think James would start the letter, he'd kind of work into it easily. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He, boom, he just gets right to it. We're going to deal with trials. You're under trials. That's why I say, I think that probably the reason they were scattered was they were under some kind of persecution. And he's addressing that right up front. And so he says to them, when you meet. He doesn't say, if you meet various trials. Trials are inevitable. You're not going to escape them in your life at all. It's not, that's not possible. They are going to come. And we're going to see very, some different things about those trials as we go through this this morning. But understand one thing. Trials are not a sign of God's displeasure. That's not what James is talking about here. Now, I know you're probably like me. Our tendency is to think when something goes bad or things go wrong, we have a, ten, a human tendency, I think, to think, well, what did I do wrong? I had a, a, a music pastor, dear, dear brother of mine for many, many years at our church in Beaumont. We worked together. loved him dearly. But he used to love to say, if I would say something like, well, I didn't get much sleep last night or such and such or something went wrong or something, his, his stock answer to me was, well, there must be sin in your life. It's great to have a staff member like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, what can you say? 
But that's, a, that's kind of a human tendency, isn't it? We tend to think that way. When things go bad, we begin to, we tend to think, what did we do? They are not a sign of God's displeasure. They are an opportunity for growth. Not a sign of God's displeasure, but an opportunity for growth. Years ago, someone wrote this beautiful poem. Listen to the words. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. God uses trials in our lives. There are opportunities for growth. So listen, trials are inevitable. Don't get the idea, Christian. Please don't get the idea that you're going to come to some point in your life when you get it all together as a Christian and you won't have any more problems. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but there is a sense in which when I became a Christian, when I was truly converted, I suddenly had more problems. You know, before that, I was on the devil's side. Jesus said that. You're either on the devil's side or you either have Satan as your father or you have God as your father. And so before that, I was on the devil's side. When I became a Christian, suddenly I was an enemy of Satan himself. And that happens in our lives. So the problems will come. Paul said in 2 Timothy, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It will happen in some way. You will experience trials. They are inevitable. That's number one. Number two, trials are of many different kinds. Look at the word here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And it's good for us that that's the wording there. Paul has that beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians. Let me go back to that just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. <coughs> Excuse me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we do not know what the thorn in the flesh was. Have you noticed that? There have been speculation, but we don't know for sure. Paul didn't tell us what it was. It was a messenger of Satan to keep him from becoming. Notice Paul let, God let Satan afflict Paul with this thorn in the flesh 
so that he wouldn't become conceited. Now, I really don't think it was Satan who was trying to keep him from becoming conceited. Satan loves for us to be conceited. Pride is one of the seven deadly sins. But God was using Satan in that way. But Paul didn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh was. And I think that helps us. For instance, if Paul had said, well, my, my thorn in the flesh is an ingrown toenail. Then we would know that if we have an ingrown toenail, God's power is perfected in that weakness. But it wouldn't be an application to anything else. By not telling us what the thorn in the flesh was, Paul opened the door to all thorns in the flesh. He opened the door to all trials and difficulties in our life. So I think that's what James does here when he says trials of various kinds. They can be spiritual, they can be economic, they can be emotional, there can be domestic pressure, criticism, disappointments, accidents. Trials are of different kinds in our lives. And often, the trial itself, how do I want to say this? Often, the trial itself doesn't have any apparent connection to our faith. Did you hear that? That's why sometimes it's difficult for us to connect the trial to the need for faith. But that's what James is doing for us here. Okay? So number one, they're inevitable. Number two, there are various kinds. Number three, trials are unexpected. <laughs> oh my goodness, how true that is. When the trial comes, the trial doesn't come with a post-it note saying, this is a test. You know how your TV does that? Or they don't do that too much anymore. But it just go blank and it'll say, this is a test. There, nothing is wrong with your television. That trials don't show up that way in our lives. They come and they're unexpected. You know, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Meet trials. We don't go looking for trials, at least I hope you don't. But we meet them. We run into them. It's like, it's like the guy where Jesus told the story of, of, of the Good Samaritan, he started it by saying a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the old King James says, and he fell among thieves. Honestly, this is the truth. When I was a kid growing up in church and I heard that story, I literally thought it meant the guy was walking down the road, he tripped and fell and fell into a bunch of thieves. Well, we know what it means. But he met that trial. It, it sprung upon him. It was unexpected. And so that's what we need. That's why what James is writing here, one of the reasons what James is writing here is so important for us. We need to realize that trials are going to come and we're not going to get necessarily any pre-advanced warning about the trial. God is not necessarily going to send you an email saying you've got a trial on the way. They're going to come and they're unexpected Number four, we should be joyful when we have trials. Go back to the verse two, very first part. Counted all joy, my brothers. And by the way, the word brothers there 
I'm reading from the English Standard. If you are, you have a note there that says that word can be translated as sisters or brothers or brothers and sisters. It's, it's a general term. Count it all joy. Now, I don't believe what God is saying to us through James is that this is a joyful emotion. Like when a trial comes that you're not jumping up and down saying, yippee, 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 I've got a trial today. I don't believe that's what James is talking about. What he's talking about is that deep inner joy that a Christian can have regardless of the circumstances of our life. The joy that we can have because we know I love, I think it was the second song that we sang. God is in control. God is in control. We can have a deep abiding joy because we know whatever is going on behind the scene, God is in control. And oh my goodness, we could go through the pages of Scripture, all through the Old Testament. We see that over and over again. The story of Joseph, how his brother sold him into slavery. And all of the things that happened to him, how he got thrown into prison, he was falsely accused, he got thrown into prison, all those things happened. And finally, he's the second most powerful man in Egypt, and he says to his brothers, God sent me ahead of you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God was in control. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a fire, a fire that was so hot that the people who threw them in died. But God showed up. I love what King Nebuchadnezzar said. He says, there's a fourth person in the fire that looks like a son of God. Let me tell you what, I believe with all my heart, it was the son of God in that fire. God was in control. We just go on and on and on. Whatever the trial, we can have that deep abiding joy. We can make a deliberate and careful decision to experience joy even in times of trouble. Paul said... This amazing statement in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Whatever your trouble is, whatever your trial is, whatever your affliction is, are you, like Paul, overflowing with joy? I like this little rhyme. You can pout or praise all of your days. Rebel or rejoice, it's your choice. Let me say that again. You can pout or praise all of your days, rebel or rejoice. It's your choice. Count it all joy. Now, we can have joy because we know something. Okay? And that's number five. What is it that we know? Number five, trials are a test of our faith. Trials are a test of our faith. Paul, uh, excuse me, James said this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The one thing you can be sure of when trouble comes your way, the first thing you can say with joy, if you want to hold on to that joy, the first thing you can say is this is a test. It is a test of my faith. And that's what the Lord is telling us here through James, his apostle. Do you remember the song, It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio Spafford? I'm sure you know the story behind that, how his, his wife and daughters were traveling on a boat across the Atlantic, and uh, they, their, their ship sunk, 
and they were and, and he lost his family. And so he wanted to know where that was. He got on the boat. He asked the captain to tell him when they got to the place in the ocean. And the captain called him to the deck and said, this is the place where your family perished. And he was there for a moment, but we know the story. He went back to his stateroom, and in his stateroom, he penned the words of that uh, great hymn that we sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. But there's this line, whatever my lot... Thou hast taught me to say, we sing today. That's not how Horatio Spafford wrote it down. What he wrote, it, wrote down was, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know. To know. Do you know that God is in control of the circumstances of your life? Are you trusting in that? Do you know that when troubles come, it's, it's simply a trial of your faith that the Lord is working in your life today? It's a testing. The testing, uh, the word there is, is a word that was used when they were testing precious metals like gold or silver. They were testing them to prove that they were what they seemed to be. And Christian, that's what's going on in your life when troubles come, when trials come. It's a testing of your faith. You can know that from the Lord. They're unexpected. They come to us. We're told to have joy even in the midst of those circumstances. <coughs> we never know what that trial is going to be. Uh, I mean, I can just my personal life. I don't want to get too personal here, but... But there have been occasions when we've had deep trials in our lives. Just this month, just a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated 10 years as a survivor of prostate cancer. My, I had my prostate removed 10 years ago. Now, <laughs> like I said before, I didn't get a text from God saying, get ready, count this as joy, but you're going to have prostate cancer. No, I'm sitting in my doctor's office and he gives me the results of a test and says we need to you know, have a biopsy done and it came back positive. Four months ago in February, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Some of you may be aware of what that's like and how, how it can be so brutal. That's what God has for me. But I didn't get a warning about that. It's a test of my faith, you see. I'm just using that as illustration. Each and every one of you has your own illustration of what your trials are that you faced in your life. And, and, and you don't even know what trials are yet to come in your life. But number six, the decision to rejoice should be made before the trial. Wow. This is... This is where the rubber meets the road. Let me say that again. The decision to rejoice, the decision to count it all joy, should be made before the trial. You say, well, I don't have any trials. Then this is the best time for you to hear this sermon. So that you can count it all joy right now. You can decide right now, whatever comes your way, God is in control. I'm trusting in Him, and I'm going to have joy in the midst of that. See? I learned a lesson 
Years ago, I was living, before I got married, I was living in Burbank, a single guy, and we had a, a group at our church, a group of, of singles, had a Bible study together, and we went on a, uh, we decided one weekend we were going to do a little overnight backpacking thing up in, uh, up above Azusa over there in the mountains, and so we went and we, we hiked and we drove, got, took a bus up to a, a parking area, we hiked down into the canyon looking for a place to camp for the night. And we found this beautiful, beautiful place. It was such a gorgeous day and it was a beautiful place. There was a stream there and there was a place where the stream divided and, 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 and went around this beautiful sandbar. And so we thought, wow, what a great place to camp. So we camped there, we made dinner, we had dinner. We, we put up a tent, we had two tents, one for the girls, one for the guys. We put up this big tent for the girls and they had the tent ready and the guys uh, thought it was just so beautiful. We thought, we'll just lay out the tarp here. We won't bother with putting up the tent. We'll just sleep under the stars. It'll be beautiful. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when the wind started to blow. And it began to howl. And before we knew it, it was pouring down rain like crazy. It's raining cats and dogs. The wind is blowing. And we get up and we grab the tent and we start trying to put the tent up. <laughs> we finally gave up and every one of us crawled under the tarp. And we slept the rest of the night under the tarp. You know what I learned? Storm time is no time to try to tie down the tent. Trial time is no time to try to decide that you're going to have joy. Count it all joy. Make the decision before the trial. You can decide that this morning. That whatever comes. Some of you may be in the midst of a deep trial right now. I don't know. And, and then bless your heart. I pray that somehow this will be an encouragement to you. But you can decide to have joy in the midst of the trial. Number seven, number seven. Trials responded to properly are always fruitful. Notice what Paul says, verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what he's telling us there is that a faith response produces steadfastness or endurance. Let, let, let me read a verse for you from just a few pages before in the book of Hebrews in verse 36. The writer of Hebrews says to us, For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised. Now what he's talking about what is promised there, he's talking about eternity with Jesus in heaven. But he says right now, you have need of endurance. And James tells us how that endurance comes. Let steadfastness, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance for you. And steadfastness will have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness brings maturity in the Christian life. Now, let me, just, let me try to put that in, in a way that, that you can handle it and remember it really easily, okay? I believe what James is describing here is, is 
the part of the process of what we call sanctification. Sanctification. Now that's a big theological term, but what sanctification simply means is it's a process whereby God transforms us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. God grows us up becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the goal of the Christian life as we live to be more and more like Jesus. So here, here's, a, here's something that will help you remember it, okay? See if you can do this with me. Put your right hand up like this, okay? This hand represents Jesus. Your left hand now, take your left hand. Your left hand is going to represent you as a Christian, okay? The Bible says that when we're saved, at the moment of our saving, we are babes in Christ. So do this. Put your hand down here. You're a little baby down here. Sanctification, watch this, is the process whereby God grows you up more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. See that? See it? Now, let's make sure you know something. Nobody is here. If you are here, you are not here. (laughs) You are a figment of our imagination this morning. We are not perfect, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're not perfect until we see Jesus. All of life for the Christian is a process of growing more and more like Jesus. And that's what James is describing here. And again, let me make sure you understand Nobody's here. But the other side of it is, it's not instantaneous. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. There, there are people who believe in, in instantaneous perfection in the Christian life. I had a friend years ago, I was talking to this guy on the phone, and he believed in this, and he said, he said I've reached that level of, 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 of perfection in my Christian life. I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. He said, Walter, it's been three years since I sinned. And I said, well, you just blew it. <laughs> you lied through your teeth. No, it's, nobody's here. It's not instantaneous. It's a process. And sometimes that process is hard. And sometimes what that process involves is trials and troubles and persecutions and difficulties And they don't come, like I said, with a post-it note saying this is a test, but it is. It's a test of our faith. Let the Lord do His perfect work in you. Now, the New Testament makes it very clear that God does that in two ways. He does it on us as individual Christians. But He also does it on churches. Collectively. God, go back to Ephesians 4, you'll see it, until he brings us all together to mature, full maturity in Christ. God is working not only on you, Christian, as an individual. God is in the process of conforming Calvary Church, West Hills, to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the trials that you're facing, probably... A really big trial that you're facing right now is you don't have a pastor. Do you believe God's in control? He is. 
And I believe with all of my heart that he's already preparing the man he has for you to be your pastor. So right now, count it all joy. Grow close together as a church. Hang in there together. Don't let anybody drop by the wayside. And wait for God to continue his process, making you more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, again, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you will work in the lives of the people of Calvary Church, both individually and together as a church, Lord. Make them more like Jesus. Help them to keep their eyes on you, to have the joy of knowing you, and to live that out in their lives day to day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.